Amen, church? You alive? <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> Welcome to church. So good to have you here. How about you guys take a seat? So good to have you in church this morning. I'm super excited to be sharing the word this morning. Welcome to Imaginations Church on Imagination Sunday. Amen. So good to see so many projects and, and even seeing a good buddy of mine, Simon and Maria, up on the screen. Uh, really special. They honestly are doing such an amazing work out there. And um, yeah, it's a privilege to partner with them. So if you don't know me, my name is Matt. And alongside my wife, Asha, we are the youth pastors here. So shout out to any teenagers in the room. You are quite, yeah, there you go. I heard some non-teenagers woohoo this then, Sonia, just to be clear. All right. <laughs> I shouldn't have pointed it out. Well, look, one Sunday every month, we focus on our vision to see the gospel of Jesus go to everyone, everywhere. And I have been praying that the word of God today would inspire us to continue in our pursuit of King Jesus' cause or encourage those in the room to begin their pursuit of King Jesus, because he's a worthy king. But we're also close to Easter, so for today's message, I'd like to start actually by reading a passage from Mark 15 as the basis of my message today. So let me begin. It says in Mark 15, chapter 1, Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, 
and drops to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Let me pray. Father, we come before your word, and this passage is intense. And Lord, we think about the reality that 2,000 years ago, King Jesus, you experienced this. You experienced all of this. You felt this. You endured it, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just say that we are grateful. We are humbled by it. But Lord, I pray this morning that the word would really open our hearts, open our minds, teach us something new, and teach us something that we need to continue to pursue your cause, King Jesus. So I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit and the word that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Well, Mark 15 stirs the fullest range of emotions while also defying logic. We know where all of this leads. And if you don't, then come back next Sunday. But it's hard to see how all of that could possibly lead to any kind of triumph or victory. There are many individuals and groups in the passage, but the one at the center of their attention, and therefore our attention, is King Jesus. And what do we see when we focus on him in this passage? We see a wounded king. Wounded in so many ways. The passage in Mark 15 begins where chapter 14 actually left off with the plotting and scheming of the religious leaders. Obviously, extremely motivated to deal with the issue because who else would wake up very early in the morning to meet with their colleagues? They discuss together their next step. Now, it's worth noting their decision-making is flawed because they base it on false accusations, emotions, and a lack of evidence. Chapter 14 details this. They've already had a meeting the very night before with false accusations thrown at Jesus with him in the room. And verse 3 in our passage simply brings back these accusations to mind. But these leaders were actually doing the work of the father of lies, the devil. The religious teachers were ignoring the truth and creating false realities, also known as lies, to justify their beliefs about Jesus. Now, it's a side point, but we all need to see, sorry, we, we need to see all lies and falsehood in the light of not how valid they seem or feel sometimes or all the times, but firstly, see honestly where they come from. The devil himself, completely anti-God and his character, darkness and not light. That's a side point. But Jesus had clearly tipped them over the emotional edge with his direct rebukes and teachings all throughout the Gospels, where emotions had now become their driving force and fabricating lies had become their default. These leaders were triggered by Jesus, and their sharp minds were now blunt, subject to their wild emotions. Their discussion that morning 
leads them to take and bind Jesus, the rogue religious leader in their eyes, for trial before the secular governor, Pilate. Now, when I was looking at this, I, I, I found this so ironic. It's delicious, the irony that's in this. Religious leaders who teach the law, you shall have no other gods before me. Right, that's the first law. Turn to a secular governor, Pilate, a represented sorry, a representative of the Roman god, Julius Caesar, the deified human king, bringing Jesus to him under the charge of, pause for irony, blasphemy. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asks, verse 2, with Jesus in the only words he spoke in the passage, affirming their charge. Their act of taking Jesus to Pilate for judgment made them guilty under God's law, the very laws they were so zealous to uphold. I'm sure the the priestly intern forgot the morning coffee or something like that because they missed it. They were all in discussion. They just missed it. How do they miss that hypocrisy? But we're only a few verses in, and Jesus has already experienced horrible wounds at the hands of the humans in these passages. What are these wounds? Well, his freedom has been taken away. He's been arrested. He's been gossiped about and lied about, falsely accused, ganged up on, as they say in the playground, or outnumbered. He has no supporters because while we're celebrating Palm Sunday now and his disciples welcome him into the city, by this point they've all dipped, they've all left, they're out of here. The supporters are gone. And now he has the full power of both the religious teachers and the Roman government and military against him. Wounds. Horrible wounds. And we've only started with the psychological ones. And the remainder of the passage, you would remember, highlights even more wounds this time attacking his character, his very identity, and ultimately his physical body. He's compared to a revolutionary murderer, Barabbas. His fate is left to a crowd of angry people. He experiences the direct consequences of injustice. His his enemies motivated by envy, get exactly what they wanted. He's sentenced to death. He's flogged with a whip. He's turned over to military custody by a worried and insecure pilot. He's embarrassed publicly. He's mocked. He's tortured with thorns. He's assaulted. And then finally, at least for the passage that we looked at this morning, because there is more after this, after all of this attention on Jesus He ends up rejected, where the soldiers get bored and over it and lead him up to the hill to be murdered. Now, if this was any other person in history, or even any character in like a fictional story or TV show, what would be our reaction to this? Maybe you can go back and remember your first reactions to finding out, and this is a spoiler alert, by the way, a Star Wars spoiler alert, 
your feelings towards the revelation that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? What was your reaction? Was it shock? Did you believe, were you bamboozled? Did you think, oh no, this is, this is one of those mind trick things again. You know, it's not actually real. It's not true. It's messing with, you know, Luke's head. At least that's what Lockie Pembroke told me when I asked him this morning. You have a reaction, right? It's shock, it's horror, it's, oh, you're not even paying attention. Maybe you've fallen asleep. I don't know. But we have reactions to these things, you know, and I, I don't know when we're reading out that passage, what your reaction was it on a, on a feelings-based level? How did you react when you were reminded of something that many of us have probably read many times before, but perhaps there was another reaction to it because it's intense, it's very descriptive. More seriously, what about your reaction to some historical tragedies like 9-11 or the Bali bombings? Or even just as recently as the natural disasters in our community, like bushfires and floods. I'm sure the feelings of horror, fear, helplessness, and this like overwhelming compassion and empathy to get out and do something or to sign a check over or send money somewhere sort of welled up within you when you heard this news. These wounds that I've picked through this morning from this passage, which encompass all facets of human experience, emotional, physical, relational, religious, legal, and just straight holistic trauma, there's no other way to say it, were the lived experience of the one we declare as king. But there's a greater context followers of Jesus confess that actually reframes these wounds and makes Christians look upon all of this trauma actually with overwhelming gratitude and thanksgiving, right? Because you read that and that's actually, when you sit and think about it, that's actually your response when you grasp what it's all for. Yes, we see and even feel the trauma, there's no doubt about it, But we see these wounds of Jesus with so much more depth and gravity because of this. These wounds were planned from the beginning of creation by God for His glory and His purposes. Not just plans in the morning meeting of some overzealous religious leaders, but by the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing Father God. Jesus actually knew this. When he was sweating blood from his forehead after pouring out wine and breaking bread at the Passover table, Jesus pleads in prayer in Mark 14, the chapter before, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done. Everyone say your will, not mine. You see, these wounds were not just wounds, but they were holy wounds. Wounds that progressed God's plan. Wounds that 
while totally unpleasant to see or experience, greatly pleased the Father God. Wounds that, while lacking any motive of good in the hearts of those who inflicted it, achieved immeasurably more good than anyone could have imagined. Holy wounds are wounds God uses for His glory and His purpose. Have you ever been wounded? Were they just wounds? Or were they holy wounds? The Bible declares God is holy. Holy in its simplest form means something that's set apart, completely unique. It's the special cutlery at your grandparents' place. Not the everyday cutlery that you go and you know you eat your mac and cheese from. These are the forks that are polished by Brasso. No scratches or imperfections, but can never be touched, certainly never used, or face the wrath of Nanny. Set apart, unique for a purpose. Don't know what that purpose is in the case of the cutlery. In Old Testament times, the tent of meeting God instructed the Israelites to build contained, among other places, the sealed section called the most holy place, the holy of holies. It was a place where God's presence dwelt that was so set apart, only one high priest could enter once a year with the purpose of seeking forgiveness for the sins of Israel on behalf of the Israelites. The most holy place was like walking into a furnace or a raging ocean. You simply cannot survive the intensity unless the fire or the water itself decides to relent its burning heat or shield you from its violent waves. This is one of the essential characteristics from the Bible that makes God God, His holiness, His purity. So then, why are Jesus' wounds, as described in Mark 15 and throughout the Gospels, holy wounds? Well, approximately 700 years before Christ walked the earth, the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, penned these words about a servant. And as we prepare for Easter, I, I encourage you to read the whole part. I'm going to read a few snapshots of it, but it is truly beautiful. And I'd love to read a short passage from this section of Scripture with you this morning. It says this, starting in uh, uh, chapter 52. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, it seemed hardly human. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. And he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Yet it was our weakness he carried. 
It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. The servant, 700 years later, promised and prophesied was Jesus. And it's the wounds in Mark 15 that set Jesus apart as the servant whose wounds would heal that we see here in Isaiah. And so holy wounds, therefore, are God's plan to crush and yet in his time bring complete transformation and new life, new purpose like grapes and wine. So, what does this mean for us? The truth is this. Holy wounds are the reality of living out the king's cause. It was true for Jesus, and it is true for followers of Jesus. But there's so... Sorry. But there's also a much greater hope-filled truth behind these wounds because they mean that new life is coming. I ask again, have you ever been wounded? Now, I'll be very frank. I find it very challenging to prepare a message to the Sunday AM congregation. Not because you don't have nice smiley faces. Actually, you do. It's a great privilege. But it's challenging because what I see before me are so many people who have walked a longer life and a harder road than I have. And it's just basic mathematics too that the more years that you live the more minutes you have to be wounded from this world that's full of sin and full of brokenness. But I also see what I would describe as a steely resolution in so many of you who have come through the furnace and who have survived the storm, not only with the cliche, you know, oh, my head's held high, I've got my shoulders back and I'm pushing forward, but with your convictions set like concrete that Jesus is king and that his joy is actually your portion. You've comprehended that the wounds of life are not just wounds, but are holy wounds. Willingly and joyfully, if not painfully, endured for Christ's cause. Unflinching, to get back up and continue living the call of God, willing to die and willing to live again, just as our King demonstrated and just as the Spirit 
leads us. The women in this room who have experienced the great joy but horrible pain of childbirth, child rearing, and even child loss, passing on all the wisdom that you have to Asher and I. The men who live in this room right now with a broken back, calloused hands, or wrecked legs, or any form of physical ailment, providing not only for your family, but also for your church family. And me, as a youth pastor on staff, a direct recipient of your work to enable me to follow the call of God and and Asher and I as well in our youth ministry. The leaders who have opened your homes week in and week out to disciple others, called out sin, taken rejection, shared a meal, made meals, all in the hopes of a course correction before faith is shipwrecked or to, to lean a shoulder during a, a, a time of mourning, all of these things. Your lives are like silhouettes of the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, where he says this, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, and we sang it this morning, my interest in this world has also been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. You do not fear wounding, even though the hurt and pain experienced is well and truly valid and felt and painful and seen by God and seen by your brothers and sisters in Christ. But we believe these wounds are all part of God's good and holy plan to bring about His purposes in this world. Have you experienced what I'm talking about this morning? These holy wounds of the Christian life. Is your boast in the cross, in the holy wounds of Jesus, with the scars on your mind and your body and your soul as proof? I know this is probably a bit of a different message from a missions message. Don't know what you're expecting from me. Maybe some jokes. <laughs> but, you know, here's what I believe the Holy Spirit has for many in this room through this word this morning. You know, I've got a few things written down here. But to be honest, what I feel is extremely appropriate in this moment is for me to actually shut up <laughs> and to come to God humbly in prayer and to let the Spirit of God minister this morning. Because maybe there are some in here where there's been a brokenness that you've had and experienced for a long time because the wounds, you they haven't been framed the right way, right? It's just... Mark 15 rather than the rest of Mark where there's resurrection life and the Spirit of God just wants to do some ministry this morning just to work on that and to maybe bring some new life maybe it's honestly just endurance there's 
a pursuit of the kingdom that you've been pursuing and it's really hard and it's really long and you're just tired and the, the cause is still your cause but you're just tired and you need that endurance. You need that renewal to get you up the hill so to speak and that's your portion this morning. And then who knows what else the Holy Spirit wants to reveal and do this morning. But I would love to invite each person in this room just to take a moment of prayer, to bow your eyes, sorry, to close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment, get into your own space. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to leave just a little bit of silence, a little bit of space. And then I'm going to close the prayer and we're going to worship. But I do believe the Holy Spirit is looking to minister this word to people this morning. So let me pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, with the the heaviness of these wounds that Jesus experienced, but also the great hope that these wounds achieved, not only for your great glory and, and honor and purpose, but also for us, because these wounds mean freedom and healing for us. But right now, Lord, I believe you're looking to do a work by the power of your Spirit to reveal, to shine lights, to reframe, to renew. And so, Father, we just give you a bit of space to work. Father, we pray that this message and the work of your Spirit would not just be a temporary moment here, but that it would transform the rest of our days here on this earth as we seek to live for your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus. We're grateful. We're thankful. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, 